0: On behalf of Weinberg Information Services, this is Bob Keebler and I'm here today with Jonathan Blocklocker to talk about basis of IGIT assets at death. So let me set this up. We're going to make this real easy. No married couples, very wealthy gentleman in his 60s, sell gifts and sells property to an IGIT. The transaction passes, muster gift tax audit, no, no change. So. Now we're moving on and we're making payments just like we should. Everything is the perfect IGIT sale. Fifteen years later, this gentleman dies. At the time of his death, all of this property has a relatively low basis compared to its fair market value. And the issue is what happens there. So, Jonathan, let's just start with a very basic question. What is the
1: basis of property and why is it so important? Well, Bob, uh, the basis of property in the most simple sense is the point from which you measure any gain or loss when you dispose of that property in a taxable manner, such as a sale. If you buy stock for 100 bucks and you sell it for $90, you have got a $10 loss. If you sell it for 150 you have a $50 gain. Now, uh, that's very, very important to know it. And the rules are basically you have basis equal to what you buy property for. You also get basis for property that you receive by a gift. And if it's a gift, it's equal to the giver's income tax basis adjusted for any gift tax paid on the inherent appreciation as a general rule. And the third way you get basis is to inherit property.
0: So overall, how is basis determined? So obviously when I buy property, I take a basis. What happens if I later gift that? And in a normal course of the normal course of life, what happens if I die with that property 20 years later and it's doubled in value?
1: Right. Well, as I said, if you gift the property to someone, the recipient takes over the giver's or your basis, Bob, where you're the giver adjusted for some of the gift tax that you pay. Those are general rules. At death, however, except for certain exceptions, the basis in the inherited property will be it's estate tax value. And that rule applies even if you don't pay any estate tax or your estate is sufficiently small that you don't even have to file an estate tax return. That's commonly called the income tax-free step-up in basis. Now, it could be a step-down in basis if, for example, the person bought a piece of land for a million dollars and when she died it was worth only 600000 The inheritance basis would be only 600000 But because of inflation and other factors in the economy, much more often than not, assets tend to have a higher estate tax value, again, even if you don't pay any estate tax, then they do uh, what they pay for. Also, Bob, as you know, as you hold property during your lifetime, your basis may be reduced on account of depreciation or other factors. So the income tax-free step-up in basis is exceptionally important. And indeed, because the estate tax exemption today is so large, Over $11.5 million. Most people's estates won't be subject to any estate tax. And even if they have an enormous estate, as you do, Bob, if you leave it to your wife under the protection of the barrel deduction, you'll pay no estate tax. And yet, all those assets, those covered by the exemption, those passing to your spouse, all get that income tax free step up in basis. It's probably today, Bob, for most people the most important factor in estate planning. So
0: what are the exceptions? You briefly mentioned that there's exceptions, but can you give us a couple examples of exceptions?
1: Yeah, there are two very important exceptions. One is where you have received property from someone who and you die within a year and bequeath it back to them. So my wife gives me property uh, that has a a low basis, uh, I'm uh, on my deathbed, I'm going to die within the next year. She gives it to me. I die with a property. If you just take a look at Section 1014, it looks like there'd be a step-up in basis, whether I give it to my kids or I give it back to my wife. But Section 1014, little e says, if I leave it back to the person who gave it to me, and I leave it back to them within a year. There is no step-up in basis. The basis they had carries over not just to me, as would be the normal gift tax rule, because I received it by gift, but also those who inherited from me. The bigger and more common exception is for the right to income in respect of a decedent, described in Section 691A of the Internal Revenue Code. Every estate you plan for, every estate you administer, will have income in respect of a decedent. Income in respect of a decedent is tax income to which the decedent was entitled at the time of death but is not properly includable in a pre-death tax return, understanding that your tax life as a taxpayer dies when you do. Probably the most common example are interest in qualified plans and IRAs but there are over 100 different types of income in respect of a decedent, including interest on a bond that hasn't been received prior to death and also unpaid salary, accrued vacation pay, and as I said, there are about 100 different categories. The definition that it's tax income, which is not properly includable on the decedent's pre-death income tax returns, is a good one, but to really determine what is and is not income in respect of a decedent, you have to find the exact example. But again, anybody with deferred compensation, whether it's a qualified plan, an IRA, a rabbi trust, or whatever it may be, all of that constitutes the right to income in respect of a decedent, and that does not receive the step-up in basis of death. In fact, when that income in respect of a decedent is acquired after death, it's includable in the gross income of the acquirer. The same kind of tax flavor is there. So, if it would have been long term capital gain, if the decedent had lived, it'll be long term capital gain to the person who inherits the right to that property. Again, for most interesting qualified plans and IRAs, the most common form today, representing almost $30 trillion of wealth in the United States, um, that's almost always ordinary income and not capital gain. Going a little bit further now, so what I really
0: want to talk about today was this sale to installment sale to a grantor trust. And I kind of brought it up a little bit up front, but can you walk us through with a little bit more depth the installment sale? Because I would say right now, this is the most popular and and Frankly, the most efficacious strategy out there. It's the one that works the best. We can get GST leverage. A lot of good things here. But walk us through it, Jonathan.
1: Well, Bob, I believe I'm the one who came up with the installment sale to a grantor trust. And this was after so called uh, Chapter 14 of the code was enacted, which put in, among other things, Section 2701, which said that if you take a common interest for your kids and a preferred interest for yourself, you were going to be deemed to have made a gift. So I thought, why don't I make a sale before death? And the IRS had issued Revenue Ruling 85-13, one of the most important rulings for state planners at least ever issued. The service said that a grantor trust is ignored for income tax purposes that the grantor is still deemed to own the assets in a grantor trust. So even if I made a taxable gift to the trust, paid gift tax on it, it's out of my estate, if that trust is a grantor trust, there is no gain recognition because for income tax purposes, not for creditor rights purposes, not for purposes of estate tax inclusion, but for income tax purposes, I'm treated as though I still own those assets. So I thought, why not sell it to a grantor trust and have the trust pay for it with another provision which had recently come into the law, and that's Section 7872. Section 7872 essentially says if you extend credit to a family member or to a trust for the benefit of a family member, you can pay for that or have a note on that just bearing the so-called applicable federal rate or AFR interest. So when I started doing this back in the early 1990s, Bob, I would have clients sell assets properly valued or as best we could do to a grantor trust. The grantor trust would pay for it by issuing a note to the grantor there would be no gain recognition because the seller is still treated for income tax purposes as though he or she still owned the assets. So you take $10 million of assets, you sell it to the trust, you no longer own it for gift tax purposes and estate tax purposes and creditor rights purposes, and you've gotten back a note in exchange. Well, that note's going to bear a fixed rate of interest, so you've done two things. One, you've now frozen the value of what's includable in your estate, and you're going to only receive a relatively low interest rate. In fact, today, even if you sell it and the note isn't due for 30 years, the interest that has to be paid or accrued is just a little bit over 1%. And where you're getting more on the earnings than the applicable federal rate, which is a very, very low rate of interest, a very low rate of return, it means over time an enormous amount of property can be leveraged out of your estate. And as you said, Bob, if the trust you're selling it to is exempt from generation-skipping transfer tax, you get a double bonus. You get it out of your estate with a value frozen, equal to the value of the note, it's going to grow at an exceptionally low rate compared to returns in the marketplace because the AFR is essentially the Treasury Department rate, and uh, it, you and th- that's what happens, and that's why it's such a popular technique.
0: So let's assume somebody does this. Their basis on the day of the sale was a hundred dollars. They die later when the when the fair market value is. So they have a $900 built-in gain. And let's assume the note is still outstanding. So walk us through uh, what is the basis of the assets, Jonathan, that are held in a grantor trust at the time of a person's death, but they're not included in the grantor's estate. We know that
1: they're not included in their estate. Right, right. Well, Bob, a couple of things. It doesn't matter what the grantor sells the assets to the trust for. He may have paid only $10 for the asset. He sells it for 100 There's no gain recognition because the trust is ignored for income tax purposes. And because for income tax purposes it's treated as a gift, not a sale, the trust basis is only $10. In fact, the trust doesn't even exist at that point. The trust will only come into existence when the grantor dies. Now, you said, Bob, suppose those assets which have been sold to the grantor trust at the time of the grantor's death are worth 1000 What's the basis now of those assets? Well, the answer, Bob, isn't entirely clear, but Mitch Gans and Hugh Jacobson and I wrote an article about this all the way back in 1992, and we said you still get the tax-free step-up in basis. And let me explain that. Now, he said, wait a minute, Jonathan. It's not includable in the estate. And Section 1014, which gives you that income tax-free step-up in basis for inherited property, uh, but it's not in your estate. And you know it's got to be in your estate in order to get that stepped-up basis. But that's not what Section 1014 says. In fact, Bob, when... Hugh Jacobson and Mitch Jansen and I wrote that article and submitted it to the Journal of Taxation. The editor called us and said, your position that you get a tax-free step-up in basis, even though these assets are not includable in the estate, is so outrageous, Jonathan, we will not publish the article. And we have published your first book. we published 50 articles by you, but you've gone too far. 30 minutes later, he was saying, This is going to be one of the most important articles we have ever published. And here's the theory. Remember, up until the grantor dies, the grantor is treated as owning those assets. It's only at the moment of the grantor's death that they are treated for income tax purposes to have been transferred. So when the grantor dies and the trust now springs into existence at the moment of the grantor's death, And the assets are then transferred from the grantor who owns them up until the moment of his death. We know that because of Revenue Ruling 85-13. That is when they are transferred. So these assets, we believe, were acquired from a decedent and you get the tax-free step-up in basis. Now, the IRS in 2009 came out and said two important things. One is, Chief Counsel Advisory Opinion 2009-23024, 2009 and the IRS reiterated that there is essentially no gain recognition when assets leave a grantor trust at debt. There is no deemed sale at that point. The same way if you die owning an appreciated asset, you're not deemed to have sold it. And they said that applies when assets are held in a grantor trust. Because some had taken the position that the strategy of the installment sale to a grantor trust would result in gain recognition at debt. But the IRS stated flatly no gain recognition at debt in CCA 2009 23024. A little bit later, the IRS issued CCA 2009 37028. And although there was no reasoning expressed, in fact, there was no reason to even say it in that chief counsel advisory opinion, the IRS said flatly you do not get a step up in basis for assets in a Grantor Trust when the Grantor dies. But then a private letter ruling, which, like a CC8 is not official precedent, came out, and it was 2012-45-006. And there the IRS stated that there would be a step-up in basis on assets in a grantor trust. Now, it happened to be that the grantor was a foreigner and there was no estate tax on those assets, but they said, yet, you would get a stepped-up basis. Mitchell Gans and Hugh and I believe that there was a very, very strong case about that. But the IRS was then asked after this 2012 private letter ruling saying you would get a step up in basis when the grantor died. They came out with revenue procedure 2015-37 and said we're studying the matter. We will issue no new rulings on this issue. So they don't. But, Bob, here's what you do. If you have a client, let's go back to your facts, Bob. The original basis was $10. It's sold for 100 though there's no gain recognition, so basis on that asset remains at $10, and they die when it's worth 1000 You can say, well, we believe Blotmacher, Gans, and Jacobson, and we're going to try to get a stepped-up basis under this, their reasoning in the 2012 private letter rolling. But it's better, and I have done this a number of times, you go to a lender, and you have the lender alone. In your case, Bob, a thousand dollars to the Grantor. The Grantor then buys those assets back from the Grantor Trust. There's no gain recognition because again, before and after all these sales, the Grantor is always owned, always treated as owning those assets. So you go to the bank, you borrow the thousand dollars, you have the grantor do that. You may need a power of attorney if the grantor is under deathbed. She buys the assets from the grantor trust, no gain recognition. Now the trust has $1,000 of cash. And, Bob, we know that the basis of cash is always equal to its base amount. Yet the grantor has purchased the assets back. And even if those assets are purchased the day before the grantor dies, when she does die, there will be a tax-free step-up in basis under Section 1014. After she dies, and you should make sure it's not the day she dies, but the day after she dies, the trust can take the cash it has and buy those assets from her estate, which now have a stepped-up basis. There's no one-year or three-year or 30-day rule there. As long as you purchase the assets before the grantor dies and the cash is in the trust, then the day after the grantor dies, the trust can come back and buy the assets back from the grantor's estate. There will be no gain or minimal gain because you've just gotten that stepped-up basis. That's a very important thing for people to think about when they get involved with an installment of Grand grantor trust is making sure the clients check in with you all the time to make sure the grantor is not on her deathbed. So that's something to watch out for, but that's a plan you need to make. One final hint. When I first did this, Back in the early 2000s, uh, I went to the bank and said I need to borrow a huge transaction over $100 million. The bank didn't want to lend the money. They thought it was too scary. After a while, they finally said, Bob, that they would do it if I would personally guarantee the loan. Well, Bob, I have no problem guaranteeing loans of $100 million. And we had marketable security, so it wasn't scary. In fact, the money never even left the bank. But if you're going to try to raise cash to buy the assets back from the trust before the grantor dies, set up the loan before the grantor dies. Go into the loan officer. Take him to lunch every six months so you're assured when the grantor gets ill or you're just worried maybe she's gotten to an extreme age, you can go in and borrow the money, take that cash, buy the assets from the trust with no gain recognition. And that, Bob, is one of the most powerful transactions you can do. But there may be a problem, Bob. And that's because there are now proposals where the tax-free step-up in basis would be denied. In fact, one of the things that both Donald Trump recommended when he was a candidate and before he won the 2016 election and one that Joe Biden has suggested is to not allow a stepped-up basis. And we don't know whether they're going to propose a capital gains tax of debt or whether they will have a carryover basis system, essentially as we have now for property transferred by gift. Well, Jonathan, we have covered a lot
0: of ground today. Wow. I I want to thank you. On behalf of Leinberg Information Services, this has been Bob Keebler with Jonathan Blockmacher. Thank you for joining us today.